Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Today we've got a really unique episode that I think you're going to get a lot of value from. Uh, we spent the last, I don't know, six or seven uh, weeks really just talking about some specific concepts around the coronavirus and how to really survive and come out of this stronger than ever. And today we really pivot and we start talking about how to get back on the offense. So we have a special segment that Patty and I did together where we talk about billing relationships. Do you have a billing relationship with the merchant? We talk about the payfac model and if that's something that you should be considering. And we talk about specific vertical focus. And these are just three areas that I believe strongly that you should be considering coming out of this. And so we dive into some depth there. Um, and then Patty has another great insiders report, just jam-packed with data, really some good news about some retail and restaurant and services trends that are coming, you know, where things are starting to open back up. They're seeing some good numbers. And so some really helpful, interesting information there. And then I close it out with a questions from the field because I've been getting a lot of questions from kind of the other side of the payfac question. So uh, in the first part, I'm talking about should you be a payfac. In the last part, I'm talking about, uh, you know, what do you do to compete with payfacs? So it's a very interesting uh, conversation there. I think you're going to love it. I know you're going to get some good value from it. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody. Well, today, Patty and I are going to talk about really the future of the ISO model and a little bit of a special episode today. Of course, we normally have a guest that we interview, Patty. Um, right. But, you know, one thing that's interesting and, and frankly a little surprising to me, Patty, is um, my consulting practice during the last couple months has really kind of uh, exploded. And I've had a lot more consulting clients asking questions about, you know, what does the future of the industry look like? And, and I've been involved in strategy conversations and financial projections and uh, models. It and, yeah, yeah, it's not that surprising, James, when you think about it. You know, everybody's I mean, taking a step back, you know. Right. Everybody, and especially in situations like this, it gives people a chance to take a step back and and reassess where how are they going to move forward yeah well i'm hoping that i'm going to give everybody listening today three things to think about um we're going to talk about billing relationships payfax and verticals okay so these are really the three hot topics that keep coming up over and over again in conversations i'm having and so I'm just going to dive in and I'm going to talk about each of these and how they relate to the small ISO, large ISO, and even the individual, uh, you know, merchant sales professional out there, uh, feet on the street or uh, voice on the phone, I guess, right now. <laughs> right, right. So number one, I want to talk about billing relationships. <clears throat> so this is something that is getting, I think, more and more attention. And here's what I mean by this. Mm -hmm. Who is the merchant actually paying? Who does the merchant have a billing relationship with? Right. So let me explain a couple of scenarios that you might want to think about, okay? Okay. Number one, as an ISO or even an individual agent that has their act together, and, and you know, when I say individual agent here, I'm really talking about single member ISO. You know, you right, have sure. a you have a company, you know, you're not right. just some 1099 contractor with no plan or whatever. I mean, you actually want to grow a business. Um, right. And, you know, you have an accountant and you have processes and, you know. So, you know, one thing you want to understand is that not everything that you charge the merchant has to go through the processor. Right. Of course. Right. And yeah. so... 
Very um, important. Very important, right? And so, you know, there may be a, a, a situation where, you know, you're pitching yourself as, hey, we have a membership and this membership gives you access to um, cash discounting program or some kind of equipment mm -hmm. option or whatever. Mm -hmm. And in exchange for that, the merchant is paying your company $49 a month, right? right. And right. then you're doing cash discounting through a payment provider and, you know, you're doing a, a, you know, a zero fee through them. Right, right. Now, you might look at that and say, well, who cares, James? What's, you know, what's the big deal? Well, Ooh, it seems to me it could be very, very lucrative if you did it right. Yeah, it's, it's very lucrative. Number one, because most processors do take a percentage of that money. Mm -hmm. Right. And secondly, it elevates you to a different position with that company. In other words, they're paying you this, you know, your ISO, your company is receiving this money as, as a, a fee for services that you're rendering to them separate from the payment processing. Mm -hmm. So this is going to remove that fee from the processing statement. Right. Which is interesting. Right. For comp for competition and things like that. Of course. Um, but also if they cancel that provider, you know, they canceled that provider. And in most cases, with contracts being what they are, if a merchant of their own accord decides to cancel a merchant agreement, normally you're free to work with them to put them with somebody else. Now, you can't mm -hmm. actively flip them, of course, and I would never recommend that. But, you know, if they cancel because of some issue or something. So it kind of puts you in this other category, right? Um, right. so, you know, you could think about it as membership fees. You could think about it as an equipment program where it's like, I provide the equipment. It's like, well, you could lease a terminal to them, of course, and make maybe this upfront money at, you know, $69 a month. But the question is, is that better or would it be better instead to build this long-term relationship with the merchant where you're providing the equipment and in exchange, you're getting $69 a month basically forever as a mm -hmm. subscription service, you know, that you mm -hmm. have this billing relationship with them. And even if they switch providers, you're still their merchant services equipment provider. Right. Um, you know, things like that are, are valuable because again, you may have a merchant account where the merchant account itself is only producing maybe 30 or $40 in margin if it's a traditional account, but you mm -hmm. might be able to generate 40 or $50 in additional margin that you're keeping a hundred percent of. Right. Because you have a separate billing relationship with the merchant. And, okay. and you also have uh, a, you're engendering more loyalty. It would seem to me, right? Because For sure. if they're having problems with the processors, that's with the processor, not with you. Right. Right. Whereas in the it, when you're a rep of the processor, it's if and they're having a problem with the processor, that's going to reflect on you. Right. And even if you are the the large, you know, if you are the ISO, if you are the processor, um, you know, there's a lot of large ISOs out there that literally have zero billing relationship with their merchants. And mm -hmm. it really wouldn't be that difficult to roll out something, a, you know, a text marketing program or right. whatever it is. And you establish that billing relationship with the merchant or again, maybe it's the equipment, maybe it's a membership fee, whatever it is. Um, now, I will say you have to be careful. There, there actually uh, is pretty extensive contract language with many processors and ISOs out there that will not allow you to have a separate billing relationship with the merchant. So okay. um, you, know, you have to be careful. And this is where, again, it goes back to if you're an individual agent doing five, six deals a month, this is probably not for you. Um, right. But if you're doing 15, 20 deals a month, you can absolutely go back to your ISO or your processor and say, hey, look, here's what I want to do. I want to create a separate billing relationship. And, you know, if you don't let me do this, I'm going to have to find somebody who will, you know. Right, so right. if you have some leverage, it's interesting. 
um, mm-hmm. to have that separate billing relationship. So the other option, the last one I just want to bring up here, Patty, is, you know, there I talked about in a video a few months ago, this idea that you can go to the merchant not to flip the merchant account, but mm-hmm. simply to come in and say, hey, look, if you pay me X amount of money a month, I will go ahead and become your representative to your current merchant services provider to reach uh-huh. out to them, renegotiate your rates, get them down as low as possible, and uh-huh. I'm going to maybe provide better technology or better service or whatever the case might be. But you can establish that billing relationship, especially with larger merchants, um, and having that program in place. And so, um, you know, I'll give you a great example. You know, Patty, it's amazing how many deals in this business are lost, big, profitable deals that are lost, because the merchant really can't switch. I mean, they could, but it just really doesn't make sense for them, you know. Um, Economically. Right. I mean, for them to switch, they have a full integration with a POS system and an ERP Mm -hmm. system and everything else. And it's like, this is stupid. You know, they're not going to switch. I don't care if you're saving them $10,000 a month, they're not going to switch. So in those situations, it's, it's unfortunate that most agents just like, well, there goes that, you know. Whereas if they if they really are again, this is for those of you that are serious in the industry. You're professional. You are an expert. Um, mm-hmm. Why not say to them, you know, I have an offer for you. I don't want to. I, I can see that it doesn't make sense to flip your account. I wouldn't even recommend that you do that, no matter how much I can save you. However, I know for sure you are overpaying with your current provider. And here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to offer my services for $195 a month. What I will do in exchange for a you know, to your contract at 195 a month is I will start by renegotiating your existing contract. I'll reach out to your current company. I'll make sure that, you know, you get the lowest rate possible. I'll guarantee that I'm going to save you at least whatever, 500 a month or whatever after you've looked at the statement. Right. Right. Um, and then after that, every single month, I will look at your statement and identify if there's maybe, you know, price increases or issues. Uh, that... Or markups on, right. you know, unaccounted for. Right. Sure. Yeah. That's a marvelous service that you could provide, especially for a larger merchant. Right. And now you've just made $195 a month, which, by the way, your residual split on that is 100%. You know, right. you're not, right. it's, it's your and you have a billing relationship. So now, you know, potentially that's a billing relationship that you would have forever. You know, right. if they right. d- decide, you know, the, the costs are getting too high, we really need to find another provider. Well, you are their person that does that. So most mm-hmm. likely you're going to end up getting their merchant services at some point anyway, plus the 195 So, you know, so think about billing relationship. I've only mentioned a couple of ideas here, but obviously there's an endless number of opportunities of, you know, how, you know, first of all, again, do you have a real business? You know, some of you, you know, and I don't say that to be condescending. I mean, you know, some of you need to think about how to set up a business, you know, Um, frankly, many of you lost a ton of money by not doing this uh, with the payroll protection program because you didn't have a business set up, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. create a business, pay yourself as an employee, start thinking about maybe do I need to hire an assistant? You know, once you get to that point where you're like, okay, I want to grow and build a business, think about billing relationships. And is there an opportunity for you to have that unique billing relationship with the merchant? Um, yeah, and it also just strikes me. That, I mean, the value-added services you can bring with that. I mean, when, as you, when you were speaking, one of the things that jumped out in my mind was, you know, have a re, you know you have a billing relationship with merchants, and you also happen to have uh, either you know on retainer or something a web designer, right? Exactly. Uh, you can bring that service in, and you know, and, and you're adding value to what's especially in today's market environment. 
for sure. You know, whoever has the billing relationship really has the control. Again, the larger the account, the more important it becomes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. some of these large accounts, just the fact that you've got that billing relationship, to your point, Patty, you know, you might be able to come to them once every quarter with an additional thing that, you know, um, right. you could really even become just a, a middleman in a way of, you know, hey, I've got a Facebook ads expert. Uh, it's a right. local company that I've been working with. And all of a sudden you have the billing relationship. And so you're able to work with the Facebook ads place to say, hey, I'll get you a really good deal. Uh, you know, we'll get you a big account, but I want 20% of it and I'm going to do the billing. Um, so right. it just gives you so many more um, opportunities. So be thinking strategically about that. Um, moving on to number two, Patty, is Payfax. Um, right. And in the questions from the field segment later today, I'm going to talk about this from a different perspective. What I want to talk about here is the concept of becoming a Payfax. Okay. So this is something that's really on the mind of a lot of uh, payment processors and ISOs at this point. Um, and what's happening is the concept of being a payfac is becoming more accessible and more mm -hmm. practical. So right. um, what is a payfac? Well, you know, a payfac is a payment facilitator. And so long story short, think of it as a payfac really becoming a payfac allows you the freedom and the flexibility to really control as much of the payment process as you want. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if I'm selling for XYZ processing company as an ISO, likely I have no control over things like underwriting or the, the way the application, the merchant application looks or the online app looks or the way that right. um, customer service is handled or tech support or whatever. And you know, what happened is when the idea of the payfac first came out really was popularized with square, which is a payfac. Right. Um, right. And, you know, it was this idea of kind of all or nothing. It was like, well, become a payfac, and then you are just, you have to do everything. And it's like, mm -hmm. wow, well, then I'm going to need, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars like Square had in venture capital to pull that off. Right. But what's happened is now there's all of these payfac service providers where you can look them up. You know, uh, I won't name any names, but most of the largest companies now have some kind of a payfac program. Program, right? Yeah. And, and what it does is it really allows you to work out a custom deal with them, um, very similar to what you would negotiate as, as an ISO, um, uh -huh. except that you now get to control more of the process. Maybe you don't like the way the merchant application works right now. Maybe you want to take on some of the underwriting risk. Um, mm -hmm. You know, maybe you want to do first level customer support, but not second level. Um, maybe you want to actually handle equipment downloads. You know, I don't know. Um, but there may be processes you want to handle. And maybe as you grow your business, as your ISO expands, maybe you want to take on more of that. So what's happened, Patty, is the Payfac has actually become super interesting um, and it's starting to become a little bit of a question mark in terms of why would you become a sub ISO of a large processor and not a payfac under a large processor? Right. It seems, yeah, that seems like a, a pretty much of a slam dunk, uh, in terms of the answer to that. Right. And so, and, and there, there definitely are, I mean, I would say the biggest, you know, kind of, I'm trying to play both sides of this, you know, it's like mm -hmm. the other side of it is it definitely is a lot more complex to create the payfac. Um, sure. probably the biggest downside is that to some extent with that payfac, at least you are pigeonholed with that one company, you know? Right. So if right. I become a payfac for, let's say, Tesis, well, that payfac isn't going to be able to write deals for first data. 
you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. So that does give some limitations. Right. So operationally, you have a lot of flexibility, but as far as platform goes, now, that's not to say your company wouldn't be able to be a payfac and also be an ISO of first data, but it's just now you have totally different operating processes for these two sides of your business, and it can get a little bit frustrating. Um, right. But again, I'm just trying to give everybody some ideas as we're coming out of the coronavirus of like, okay, we're, gonna, we're relaunching our ISO. What do we want to think about? And I think... The payfac is definitely something that you want to have strategic conversations with people who understand this concept and, mm -hmm. you know, think about how could this maybe apply to my business to make it better. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and for some businesses, it's not a fit. I, I worked with an ISO recently that created a payfac and honestly, they really haven't used it very much. They're still using their direct relationship because it turns out the the larger company that they had a direct relationship is the one providing all the capital for their growth. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, well. <laughs> you know, um, and, and they thought that larger company was on board with them doing a payfac because it was with the same company. But uh -huh. it turned out the company didn't really like that, the division that was doing the direct ISO. you know. So there was like a relationship issue there for capital. Right, so right. there's definitely a lot of moving parts. It's a big decision to make. But it's not an easy thing, but, but it's certainly worth consideration. I think so. I think we're at a point where, again, early on it was kind of like, well, I mean, you really need to be – you need to have at least, you know – Five million to start a payfac. I, I think it was a good number maybe three years ago. Um, mm -hmm. You know, now I would say you need to be a, a stable, well-established ISO um, in order to become a payfac or to consider it. But you don't need to have millions of dollars in the millions bank to do of it. Dollars. <clears throat> yeah. You know, still going to need some investment, but it's not going to be the, the the you know the bar is definitely lowered quite a bit now. Right. Right. So we have those first two concepts. Um, the last one that I have harped on so many times, I'm not going to belabor the point too much today, is verticals. Yes, yes. You know, this is just becoming almost a prerequisite. Um, the more I'm talking to successful agents, the more I'm realizing that the days of kind of the general... The general uh, list is, is gone, right? I mean, yeah. you, you really need to be specifically targeting. I mean, it just seems to me particularly that verticals, you, you create your expertise, Right. And, and then you can leverage that so much, you know, throughout the market and even into other other geographics. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting, Patty, it's so it's so fun what I do now, um, because, you know, I, I have the, the liberty and the freedom to come up with great ideas and strategies that other people have to implement. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't that fun? Yeah. So <laughs> I get how challenging this is. I really do. Um mm -hmm. And, and I understand, from, especially from a larger ISO perspective of saying, well, what do you mean, James? You know, we have all these reps and like, what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is I'm, I'm actually saying you might want to think about finding a really good ISV that you could either acquire or that you could partner with in some way that services hair salons. And as things open back up, you literally provide your agent team with a list of hair salons to visit, a special marketing piece for hair salons, and a whole process of onboarding for hair salons. And, you know, in addition to everything else they're doing, you actually do have this vertical focus of like, hey, for the next month, I'm going to have a special prize for the top three reps in terms of number of hair salons signed up to this new program. And this goes back to building relationship. You might work it out with the the hair salon ISV that either, again, either you acquired them, so you have the building relationship there, or, you know, you have the billing relationship and you're paying them per license. 
Right. Um, and now all of a sudden you're billing these merchants $79 a month for this amazing hair salon software that allows them to schedule appointments online, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, you're also getting the credit card processing through your WorldPay or First Aid or Artesis or whoever, you know. Um, right. And so now you've created this whole billing relationship. Um, but that all comes back to a marketing and distribution strategy that's predicated on a vertical focus, um, right. which again is, I don't know what else to say, Patty. It's really difficult. <laughs> yeah, but but it also, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong here, James, just because you're, you know, focusing on a vertical doesn't mean that you're turning away business from other verticals right Correct. i mean your Correct. agents can still be out there selling pizza parlors while they're doing the nail salons right and the interesting thing is you know knowledge and marketing materials um those are really the only two things that that you know really define a vertical focus and so right if i go into a pizza shop and i have marketing materials specifically for that pizza shop and i have knowledge specifically about what a pizza shop would need from my software and technology and payment solution. Um, they don't know that I also have the same thing for hair salons and right. for barber shops and for, you know, retail stores. So, right. you know, but, but of course the, the challenge here is we have this very um, segmented sales force um, of independent contractors, generally speaking, or straight commission W2. And so right. we have to think strategically about training. So that's right. one thing I work a lot with ISOs on. It's like, okay, that sounds great, James, but how do we get that knowledge and how do we get these marketing materials to agents? And that's where, you know, that's what I do. I mean, I work with, you know, processing companies all the time to create marketing materials and training for specific stuff like this because right. it is challenging and it does require this kind of additional training and focus on marketing. But the thing about it is if you pull it off right now on a larger scale, you're way ahead of the competition. Way ahead. Yes, you exactly. know, and, and you have and you have sort of the time right now to be thinking about this. Right. 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 And and I think too, Patty, I think we're it's it's one of the I love business. I really do. It's so fun. Um, but it's very it's a very brutal, ruthless game as well. Anybody that's of been in course. business for a long period of time, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, you you're you're gonna get killed if you're not careful. I mean, it's a war. And I think we're at that stage now where it's still early enough that you can do this and it can be an advantage. It's not like yes. a, it's not a full on, like there are plenty of ISOs out there that are succeeding without doing this, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think if you wait another 24 months, you might be behind the eight ball. Behind on this. the curve. Yeah. You know, yeah. and all of a sudden, how are you going to compete? You know, you're in the same market with 15 other companies that are selling merchant services and the, uh, and you know, 10 of the 15, are going in with a vertical specific pitch and you're not mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. you're at a pretty big disadvantage i think at that point yeah i think so you know so really my hope today patty with this kind of you know just general conversation is every once in a while i like to do these because i get so much insight uh from you know these really uh, amazing intelligent smart uh, entrepreneurial mm -hmm. people that i get to work with every day on the consulting side yeah. And, and I start to notice trends and what are they asking me about? What am I having to research on their behalf? And definitely, I think billing relationships, pay facts and verticals are three big things that yeah. ISOs and again, even individual agents who, you know, if you're, I, it's so hard for me to define. It's like if you're an individual agent like I was where I knew I wanted to build a business, Mm -hmm. Right. If not, of course, my, my thing would be take all the things I just told you. And when you're looking for the right processing partner, right, 
well, th- for these things. Right. Yeah. Do they have billing relationships? Do are they right. are they a pay factor? Are they thinking about that? Uh, do they have some vertical specific marketing and software solutions? So if you're really an individual agent, these things are really important because it helps you to identify the right partnership. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're looking to really build your own company over time or you already have an ISO, um, these are things that I think you really should be thinking about as we come out of the coronavirus thing and kind of open things back up. And, you know, for what it's worth, James, you know, with my my work talking, you know, in my reporting work, talking with ISOs and, and acquirers and, and consultants, these are these are things that, you know, I am hearing as well. Yeah. Um, it's just a, it's I, just the trends. That is what it is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Good so. stuff, James. Thank Thanks, you. Patty. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, James, I want to share a couple of news items this week. Uh, first, some encouraging news. Uh, Card Flight, which has been publishing uh, small business impact reports since the beginning of the uh, coronavirus uh, shutdown, reports that sales at small businesses in its sample were up 11% for the seven days ending on May 3rd. Wow. Uh, that's 11% over the previous seven days. Uh, Card Flight said it also saw the largest weekly increase in total average transaction counts since the company began tracking changes in early March. Hmm. Uh, that increase was 19%. And, and um, I missed right at the beginning. You, you, are sure. you saying this is e-commerce or just all merchants in general? All merchants in general. Okay. All right. Got it. All small business merchants. You know, basically it's a sample of their of their clientele. Got it. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, um, and according to them, the dr- growth overall was driven by three categories of business, um, food and drink, retail services, and uh, retail and services. Hmm. Well, that's just, really good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was my feeling. That's why I wanted to share this this week. And, uh, you know, here's a couple, you know, just breaking that down a little bit. Uh, uh, sales at food and drink establishments were up 12% over the previous week. And down just 11 percent from early March. Wow, which, that's a big that's a big deal. I think I um, definitely agree. You know, and then um, in the services sector, um, it according to uh, card flights data, they had, the services sector had its worst week in early April, but since then sales have increased steadily, and for the week ending May 3rd, uh, sales were up 10 percent. Hmm. Wow. And then uh, they're up 25% over early April. Okay. Okay, so that's, uh, you know, that's a promising data point there. And then um, the week of April 6th to 12th was also a low point for retail businesses when sales were down 32% over the baseline week of early March. And while sales are still volatile, week to week, April delivered a uh, Basically, four weeks of growth increased uh, nearly 10% during that last week of uh, April 27th to May 3rd, which put sales almost on. So for that week, sales were almost on par with the first week of March. 
um, which again, I think suggests that, you know, the people are spending a little bit more. Um, and I think probably, although they did not state this, I think probably those are mostly e-commerce retail sales. Okay. Here's another data point that I saw the other day that just really blew my mind. Um, Amazon sales, they, they did their earnings report um, in, um, you know, for the first quarter. Okay. And uh, let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Uh, yeah, okay. They reported net sales of $75.5 billion for the first quarter. That works out to $35 million an hour in sales for the quarter <laughs> at Amazon. Wow. Wow. Good night. Can you imagine? I mean, That's crazy. and I have to admit, I'm one of those people. Oh, I mean, me too. Like, <laughs> oh, I need, uh, you know, I, 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 I need hand sanitizer or I need a dog food you know right uh i go i I'm, I'm one of those people i go to a to a feed store for my dog food well the feed store is closed right now so right now exactly. i'm going to amazon right yep uh anyway i thought uh you know i thought that was really interesting and then you know you look at this data and you and you realize you know against the fact that as of we're recording this today what is it may the 8th right right and as of today 13 states are at least beginning to phase out social distancing restrictions reopening some small businesses and at least five other states are making plans to join this trend so sure it's very possible that these numbers are going to continue to rise so i think that that's some really encouraging news yep for uh, sure and then then i have a little bit not so encouraging news okay uh with more people staying at home, um, the industry is experiencing a huge spike in e-commerce traffic, as I as the data from uh, Amazon depicts. But also seeing spikes in opportunistic frauds in the form of bogus chargebacks. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, Monica Eaton Cardone, who will, I don't think we've interviewed Monica, but I think we interviewed uh, her husband, Gary, right? Gary, right? Yep, yeah. Yep. Uh, they found it. They, they run chargebacks 911. She says they've been tracking a 23% increase in overall chargebacks. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think, uh, I wonder, is, is, a, is a chunk of that maybe like friendly fraud where people, you know, they bought something and then now they don't have money. And so they're trying to say, well, I didn't mean to buy that or whatever because they need to get that money you back. You got it. Yeah. yeah. That's what, they're, that's what, you know, she, that's what she's calling. She's calling it opportunistic friendly fraud okay uh, sure <laughs> they're, sure sure they're, they're opportunistically using the chargeback mechanism to claim back money um you know because they're feeling you know, financially insecure sure you know sure and uh they see the, the 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 opportunity to use the chargeback mechanism to shrink the credit card bills or increase the bank balances you know um and then to make matters worse Merchants, you know, are overstretched by order volume, short staffing, supply chain fulfillment problems, and they're neglecting to dispute chargebacks, you know, which, of course, is the most uh, effective way to stop right. repeat right. fraud. Sure. So, you know, mm. I think that the, the, the message here is that, you know, if you if, if you have merchants in the in the e-commerce space, you really need to impress upon them the fact that chargebacks are not a cost of doing business. Right, right. 
for sure. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there for whom it is a cost of doing business or they see it that way. And, you know, if the, you know, in, in tough economic times, people are going to scam the system, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That's, yeah, that's actually really interesting. I hadn't thought of that angle before, but it does make total sense that as people are kind of short on funds, they're going to look back at larger purchases they made in the last you know, month or so and, and right. go back and file that charge back. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And then there's the other thing I think, which is interesting. And I don't know if you've run into this, but like I said, you know, I do a lot of e-commerce stuff and, you know, there's been a few things that I've bought that just haven't shown up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, and it's, I have to say, I think one of the really interesting advantages of a company like an Amazon, um, you know, and even maybe like an eBay, I think an advantage of these leaders in the marketplace is their dependability and predictability, you know? Right. Um, right. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll go to order. Well, it, really interesting example. So just yesterday, my wife does uh, like beach body and stuff. And so we were ordering these like um, shakes, you know, the packets that you use to make these yeah. like protein shakes or whatever. Right. So we go to the beach body website, we get to the, the shopping cart checkout and you have to choose a shipping option, but there are no shipping options available for whatever reason that was like broken. <laughs> and I'm good. like, um, okay, that makes me nervous. Well, then I reach out to support and they're, they're like, oh, we fixed it. Now you can select a shipping option. And I'm like, Okay, I'm gonna go to eBay, <laughs> yeah, right? and I bought one on eBay instead for about the same price because it's like <clears throat> at least I know there I have some recourse if it doesn't get shipped to me I can get my money back or whatever, um, and it's just a little bit more dependable. So I think a lot of times these larger players have that advantage where you know it's it is scary and and you know and I'll tell you the other thing too that that really shocks me, Patty, is you know it, it's so it's so interesting because. I, I really do feel for these small businesses, many of whom were really kind of shut down by the coronavirus and all that. Um, but then at the at the same time, and I know this maybe is kind of an unpopular opinion, I don't know, but at the same time, I also feel just a little bit of um, disbelief that you're in business in 2020 and you don't have a website where people could buy stuff. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm with you 100 percent on that. Yeah. You know, and then it, like a great example, I recently, like in the last two weeks, I decided to buy my kids who are uh, eight and nine years old. I decided to buy them uh, these little youth four wheelers. OK, <laughs> which is a great dad. Well, you know, they're, they're stuck at home and we have this enormous yard. And right, so we're sure. sitting on like 300 acres or something. So I'm like, you know, let's do some four wheelers. So. Um, so what do I do? Well, I want to be, I want to be loyal to my local businesses. Right. So right. I looked up, there's two shops that have these things and we're, these are like, you know, this is a very big expense. Right. So right. I look them up. Um, sure enough, they have a website, two of two different ones. Right. Okay. I went to the one website and the product I wanted, it said that they had it, but when I clicked on it, there was no picture, no description. It was like the page was almost like broken right. and I couldn't check out and they're not open. Wow. So I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. So I went to the other website. Well, the next website was so bad that when I clicked from the homepage to look at their existing inventory, it just spun and spun and spun and it never even sh never even got me ooh. past the homepage to their inventory. Ooh, ooh, that is like, I mean, you know, that's the kind of stuff that it's sort of like basic e-com 101. Well, right. And, I, and I'm like, you know, do I feel for those businesses that, you know, maybe they're really struggling right now? Yes. But at the same time, they just lost thousands of dollars. And guess where I got them? On eBay. I mean, on, on Amazon, rather. On Amazon. On Amazon. Yeah, yeah, sure. 
And yeah. so that no, like I'll, I didn't I'll want to. You. I tried yeah. twice. There's only two right. shops in my area. I tried both of them and I couldn't buy them there. And so I think it's also a message to agents like, you know, talking to your merchants, you know, when this when we come out of all of this that like, you know, if you don't have a website that works, hopefully this is a wake up call that maybe, you know, you want to have something like that cuz it is it's 2020, it's not 1997 anymore. Yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing is is and, and maybe I'm wrong, but you know, I think that you get people that sort of get into this mindset of, oh, things are so horrible. I just had to close up my shop. I might as well just sit home and, you know. Right. And and, and when you could be doing something proactive. Oh, you, like, know, the, the, you know, getting your website up, making for sure it's working for sure like that. And, you know, Patty, there's an ice cream shop that we really like that's uh, really close to our house, like the, the only one that's really close. Right. They shut down for like two or three weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. When they didn't have mm-hmm. to. I mean, there were, you know, it, you didn't have right. to do it's that. You can. Out. Yeah, it's takeout. Right. And they finally opened back up about a week ago and we were so excited. Yes. You know, they opened up. Let's go to the ice cream shop. The line was so long. <laughs> yeah, we bet. were literally in one of those like middle lanes in the road waiting to turn Whoa. in to get around. We w- we waited in line for 35 minutes and wow. we were happy to to get sure. ice cream because there's what else are you going to do? And what else, right? right. And we came by about a week later. And guess what? They still have a line like that. You know, sure. You know, uh, Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, all of these places are packed that are still open. At least in our area. I know it's not like that everywhere. But, you know, to me, it's like, you know, there are things you can do to be creative. And, you know, you can be creative with your business and and find ways. And not everybody can. And I I recognize there's some that simply, you know, really did just have a really bad situation. But I think there's a lot of retail and restaurant type establishments that definitely could be doing more. And and hopefully now when they come out of this, there's be that wake up call of like, wow, I need to do business differently. Yeah, and you know, I had a I, I, I do some work with a with a ISO that uh, sells to the cannabis industry, for example, and in a lot of states where they have medical cannabis laws, um, the dispensaries are considered essential, like pharmacies. Right. Um, and what he was telling me was that he's spending a lot of time with his clients, getting them really up on e-commerce because. Although they are essential, just like pharmacies, you can't go in to buy your stuff. Right. So you have to order it right? some other way. You have to, you know, and it's like telephone orders just aren't going to do it. They're just right. not going to cut it. Right. You know? Right. Um, hmm. But I wanted to just one other quick uh, anecdote. Sure. Uh, you were talking about the ice cream place, and I was watching the news the other night. It was the 5th of May, Cinco de Mayo. And. They had a report about these people at all these various Mexican restaurants in Maryland and D.C., because that's the closest city to me is D.C. And uh, they were interviewing people. These lines, it sounded like the line you were in, only these people were standing out in the rain, (laughs) right, looking, you know, waiting, you know, to place their order. For, um, you know, because they were like, look, at Cinco de Mayo, this is like, I always come to this place on Cinco de Mayo. Right, right. And if I have to wait 45 minutes to place my order, at least I'll be sure it's going to be here next year. For sure. Yep. And uh, one other quick anecdote, because I saw this on the news the other night and it really, really spoke to me. Um, in in D.C., there's a venerable restaurant called Mr. Henry's. It's been on Capitol Hill for I mean, as long as I can remember, and I've been in the D.C. area for 50 years. So um, of, of shops that is maybe three or four blocks from the Capitol mm-hmm. and they do takeout. You know, they do takeout. Sure. Well, 
they started a plan with other merchants on the street that people can place their orders, like one of them is a kitchen shop, another of them is a tea shop, uh, another is a hardware store, right? Sure. You go on, you place your order, pay for your order, then they take the order over to Mr. Henry's. Okay. And, and, and you can pick it up at their takeout window. Wow. Nice. Isn't that cool? I love I mean, it. And I, I think love it's, it. and I think it's stuff like that. I think it's, you know, and it's, I will say, Patty, it's interesting the crossover to me because it's, it's about being on the offense and yes. that's the same thing. I just put a video in our Facebook community a couple of days ago about this, um, mm -hmm. that I saw that that was really cool. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, I just don't, I mean, to me, like you just go on the offense. You're so much happier, whether you're in business, a small business owner, or whether we're talking to ISOs or agents, like go on the offense, whether you succeed or fail, you're just going to be happier that you're on the offense. I mean, you know, our uh, CC sales pro, we, you know, we changed up a ton of things. We did all kinds of things different as a result of all of this. And mm -hmm. I, I really not to boast or anything, but I think we're probably going to have our best revenue month we've ever had, um, this month. Um, wow. you know, and, and it's like, you know, I realized, Hey, you know, maybe people right now are trying to sell more over the phone. So we did this huge phone sales training that was very successful. And, you know, like that's what you do. Like you go on the offense, you think about it, you adjust, you know, there's a new reality. And so I think you go on the offense and it's just, again, maybe your idea works, maybe it doesn't, but either way, you're happier that you tried something, you know? Well, yeah, isn't it? I mean, it seems to me that when you're on the offense, there's a, there's an energy that like, yeah. you know, go, go. Whereas when you're on the defense, it's sort of like, it's like a, it's like this cloud that just kind of hangs over you and, and, exactly. and you're more lethargic. Yep. And I, I think and I think everybody likes dealing with people that are positive and on the offense. You know, I agree. So, yeah. well, good stuff today, Patty. Lots of thought provoking things and uh, just be really interesting to see how things play out over the next three or four weeks. Hopefully in four weeks, you'll be doing the insiders report about, you know, retail just restaurant so. businesses getting back to normal almost or whatever, yeah. you know, it'd yes, be great. We hope so. <laughs> so yes. awesome. Always a pleasure, okay, thanks, Patty. Thanks, James. Yep. Yep. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. All right, everybody. So uh, today I want to talk about something that happened to me this morning that kind of triggered some thoughts. So right before we recorded this uh, webinar, I was working with one of our ISO clients uh, that uses ISO AMP and uh, they're doing statement analysis, and they had a merchant who was should on. You, uh, just real quick, maybe you should remind everybody about ISOAMP, James. Sure, yeah. So ISOAMP, uh, we're the leader in merchant sales technology. So we do statement analysis, proposal creation, all that. You can go to www.getisoamp.com and okay. uh, learn more about that. So thank you, Patty, for reminding me to plug that. Um, sure. So we're working with this merchant, helping them with the statement. There's a merchant that does about $5 million a month through wow. Shopify. Really? And they're using Shopify payments, which is 2.4% and 30 cents. Okay. Right? So 
on the surface, you're like, wow, we could probably really compete with that, you know, and save them some money maybe and, and still make some good margins. So, you know, we put that in there. Well, the problem is that with Shopify, the way that they handle this is if you use Shopify payments uh, on the plan that this company was on, it's 2.4% and 30 cents. Or you can choose to use your own payment provider, and that's fine. And they integrate with actually with many, many gateways. Um, okay. However, if you do that, Shopify is going to charge you a 50 basis point penalty. <laughs> um, Whoa, for not using them. Yes. So that's wow. like their integration fee or whatever. Uh-huh. And it was interesting because on $5 million, 50 basis points is 25 grand. Holy moly. Yeah. So talk about a penalty. You know, it took this account from where it's like, wow, really, you know, at 10 basis points, you could really make some good margin and, and maybe save right. them 20 grand a month to being like, nope, actually, it's better for them to stay with Shopify probably. So, mm. you know, a couple of things about that that are interesting to me. I've been getting a lot of questions from agents about, you know, Payfax and a lot of technology companies are becoming Payfax um, with one of two things in mind, either to just do their own payment processing, uh, you know, the way that Square has done, right, or, or uh, to kind of have their own payment platform available in addition to the distribution they're doing, um, you know, through other channels. So this would be like your point, uh, you know, and, and things like that, where mm -hmm. they have kind of their own payback. And that's becoming actually more and more prevalent. And so I had a couple of thoughts about that. You know, number one, I think it's very important to be aware of this shift in the marketplace. And mm -hmm. I also think that it's one of our, if not the biggest external factor or competitor, you know, kind of that what they call death line risk. You know, in other words, it's one thing to take risk. It's another thing to take a risk that could put you out of business. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at death line risk for our industry, this relationship between ISO and ISV Mm -hmm. is just absolutely crucial. Um, and unfortunately, what's happened is, you know, I think most of these ISVs, if they had their choice at the beginning, they would much rather get distribution through ISOs. Sure. You know, they it's really not their just... Job. I mean, it's not, their, it's not their bailiwick. Right. They would much rather just charge for their software. But what happens is they very quickly realize that ISOs are not interested in that. You know, mm, they're mm -hmm. not, I, you know, I just, I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, maybe they're interested yeah. in it, but they, they can't actually deliver distribution. Mm -hmm. And the agents are the same way. You know, there are these small, you know, places where if, it, you know, even an individual agent, you know, if you went to a pizza shop POS provider and said, I'm going to provide you with 15 pizza shops a month or 10 pizza shops a month, if you'll work with me on this integration, integrate with my processing, you know, partner, a lot right. of ISVs would be like, yeah, we'll take 10 a month for sure, you know. But right. then what happens is th that's that's not happening, and the agents are not delivering on it, and the ISOs aren't delivering on it. And what's happening is that the ISVs are saying, well, okay, we need to find another avenue for distribution. And then it's like, well, if we're going to find another avenue for distribution, what are we going to do about payments? Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. I guess we'll just do it ourselves. Right, sure. Right, and so we'll just become sure. a payfac. You know, um, yeah. and that's what's happening. And then once they do it and they start to get a taste for that revenue and that profit, that margin that's there, they don't want to let go. No, they don't want to let go of it. So my challenge really today is 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 number one, just kind of a awareness of like, do we realize what's happening in our industry right now that, you know, 10 years from now, five years from now, even I think a, a much larger percentage of businesses in general, whether that's e-commerce or or retail restaurant type stuff 
they're going to be using software providers for their business, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so the question is, are you going to figure out the integration game or are we just going to let the ISVs all become payfax and all of a sudden we're going to have, you know, we're going to wake up in three years and we're going to have 3,000 competitors that are all well-funded ISVs that are all competing with us as their own payfax. Yes. Is that a world that we really want to live in? I don't think I do. Um, right. I would much rather wake up in three years and realize, wow, it's amazing how our industry, these big companies have all pulled together to partner with ISVs and to provide them with the distribution that they want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it really surprises me that it hasn't happened already. Yeah, and it hasn't happened more already. And it I, is happening in little in little pockets, but not, it is not to the extent. Yeah, and I think it I think it really comes down to the fact that the agents, you know, and that's why I'm putting this in the questions from the field because this actually to me in a lot of ways isn't even on the ISAs, it's really on the individual agents because what, you know, mm -hmm. our our industry has gotten to the point where it's like, well, it's so easy to sign up somebody on a, you know, you know, a Z11 terminal, um, you know, why would I do all this extra work for the integration? Um, and and as a result, the ISOs can't really promise any kind of distribution because the agents won't sell value. Right. Um, and I think, you know, if you're in that boat as an agent, I would challenge you, you know, again, let's you know try to think strategically about this for a second and, you know, kind of pull yourself out for a minute and think about this. Think about the last 10 customers that you've sold. Do you really believe that three years from now or five years from now, do you really believe that that merchant is not going to be using a very specific software to run their business? You know, if their it's a business, pizza shop, yeah. you really mm -hmm. don't think they're in the next five years going to upgrade to a pizza shop point of sale system, you know, right. because right. It, they're either going to do that or they're going to be out of business. Right. They have to do online ordering. They have to do, you know, they have to manage their pizza by the slice in order to, you know, make sure they're maximizing their cost effective, you know, cost right. efficiencies. And they have to manage their deliveries with new mapping technology. And like, you know, this it's this this the market like that's what happens. Things evolve, things develop, things improve. And so if they're not going to keep up with that, they're going to be out of business. So it's a matter of like you really need to understand that making these partnerships with ISVs and thinking about that. You know, I would if I'm an individual agent out in the field full time, probably at the near the top of my priority list right now would be to find two or three good ISV integrations with my current processor that I can mm -hmm. go after specific verticals in my market because those are the accounts that are still going to be there for you in five years or ten years. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So there you go. Just a little little thought really today, not even so much answering a question other than just giving a little perspective to the industry on you know, looking at the future and where we're headed. And I think even the coronavirus situation, maybe even accelerating that where businesses like we talked about in the insiders report, you know, businesses are coming back and saying, wow, I was really unprepared for that. Um, right. I don't want to let that happen again. So I better go get Shopify. Right. Right. Yeah. I better go yeah. do that. You know, so think about that. What are you going to offer your merchants to help them come back stronger and better so that, you know, they, they feel comfortable about where they're at in their business and, and for the future. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com, and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.